Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Naomi told Ruth to go give Boaz head. <laughs> oh my God. When I found out, I was like, head is holy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And they weren't married. They were not married. So my Bible says, go to the head of the class. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to episode two of Sanctified. We are your hosts, Deborah Joy Wyner and LaVon Briggs. What up? How y'all doing? <laughs> I'm excited to get into today's episode because y'all, I love the title. Finding Boaz in the building or maybe in the parking lot. See, we got some things we got to get off our chest about marriage. One thing for me is having a churchy marriage. Is that really the key to having a good marriage? Or a long marriage? I'm going to testify about that a little later. But here's the thing. Meeting your mate at church doesn't always mean that you'll have a wonderful marriage or that your expression of faith will always include church. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. But first, DJ, were you taught to look for your husband at church? Absolutely. He had to be within the four walls. Oh, Jesus. And that's the thing that I didn't understand because growing up, my view of God was big. Mm. So if God is bigger than the four walls, why does my spouse have to be here? Mm. And if he is here, does that mean he's following God or is he just in the building looking for a, a woman? Because, you know, I've heard men say that the best place to find women who are freaks is in the church. Ooh. They might not be looking for a wife. <laughs> they might be looking for a jump off. So <laughs> you never know like what's going to happen. You never know. But I like you said if he in the church. So that leads me to believe that you didn't find your husband in the church. He was not in the church. Where'd you meet your husband? I met my husband at his place of work. Oh, he got money. Girl, he be taking Ooh, you care got of me. money. Takes care of me. Hallelujah. Yes, he does. No, I, I met him at his job. And what people forget, your relationship with God is not about whether or not you're in service every Sunday. Correct. It is about the life that you live. Absolutely. I need to be able to see that fruit. Yes. You Come shouldn't on. have to tell me, oh, yes, I go to church. I should see it in your everyday life. Eva. I should see it in the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you treat me. Come on. And I knew he was a man of God mm-hmm. because of how he treated me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about seeing him in church. I met that man at his desk and he was lovely. And he's still lovely. Ten years later. Come on, ten years. Congratulations. A decade in this thing. Damn. So I was married once and now I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, so so where did you meet your husband? On OkCupid. Really? Yes, I am a fan of dating apps, but I know some people are anti-dating apps and I just feel like we bank online, we shop online, we do so much online. Why not find love online? And I found love for a season, and I'm mm-hmm. really grateful that I did. That's amazing. So you found love for a season mm-hmm. on OkCupid. Was he churchy? Very churchy. I was in a churchy marriage. Really? I was the all-star preacher. 
He was the rock star prayer. Like we both were really into young adult ministry. Cause even when I was reading his profile, he was talking about how he loved young adult ministry. He mm-hmm. loved pizza. He loved fashion and music. I was like, I feel like I'm reading my profile. This is amazing. But churchy marriages, there's a lot going on behind the scenes mm. that are not churchy. Mm. And you got to be able to deal with both aspects and grow together. And we did not grow together. That's really interesting. You have to grow together. Mm-hmm. So I found my Boaz for a season online. You found your Boaz over to the disc. So clearly. I did not meet him in church, but he is from God. Love that. So basically you can meet Boaz in the church. Or the parking lot, or the desk, or online. Be open. Be open. Speaking of Boaz, so we know Boaz is this biblical character in the book of Ruth. And there's a bunch of drama, child. I always tell people, who needs soap operas when you got the Hebrew Bible? Okay. (laughs) The Old Testament (laughs) is chock full of mess. Okay. And... The church tells us at a young age to find our husband. And I found in my experience that a lot of us lump it into finding our Boaz. Mm -hmm. Like that's very particular language that black church girls use. Mm -hmm. And it always makes me wonder why they don't encourage us to find our Ruth Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. much as or even more than we find our Boaz. Well, because what's interesting to me is that it has always been about the wife finding this great, good-looking, God-fearing person and she's going to be covered and protected. But Mm -hmm. it's like, how can you find this great person if you don't know the greatness that you possess? And so it's just fine. If he in church, that's going to be good enough. How does that last if you don't know you? Right. Because here's the funny part. As you're talking about, is he a church? I'm like, Boaz in the Bible was not in church. Boaz owned land. Boaz was making money. Boaz was making money. And why are we so encouraged to find somebody so old? Yeah, Boaz was like 80-something years old, y'all. I can't do that. It's not my ministry. No, I'm not but, called I to mean, do that. it depends on how big the estate is and how much time he got left, though. Well, here's... Uh, well, Because, well, okay. I mean, you know, if I got like 18 months in this thing, you know, I could... That's going to be a hard 18 months. Just keep my eyes closed. Girl. Oh, Jesus. And your, you, that's a <laughs> that's sensory. You're going to be touching a lot of I stuff. Know. You don't want <laughs> I need some shea butter, some coconut oil. Look. Because it get dry after some time, child. Man, that's just, just <laughs> not the way to go. So we've been encouraged to find what really feels like a myth mm. that has been created. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a myth. Instead of finding our truth. Right. And you know what else I don't like about the way the book of Ruth has historically been preached is that there's been this focus on Ruth and Boaz. But we have Naomi, who's Mm -hmm. a loving, doting Mm mother-in-law. We got Orpah, who was like, I'm out. Right. So it's like, what about their stories? Mm -hmm. What happens when Orpah leaves? Mm -hmm. Where does she end up? Like, there are so many great stories we can imagine thinking through that have rich spiritual lessons Mm -hmm. besides just, Mm -hmm. okay, Ruth went to Boaz and Kinsman Redeemer, and now she's good. And now she's good. But also the loving way that Naomi taught her. Mm -hmm. The way she steered her and helped her find what she needed to find. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And... There are too many preachers not telling the truth about what actually happened between Ruth and Boaz. And you know what, my fellow lovely, beautiful co-host? <laughs> Give me the 411 on what actually happened 
I, with Ruth and Boaz. I need y'all to prepare your edges. Okay. <laughs> they're about to get snatched. They're about to get snatched. Mm-hmm. So we all know that Naomi told Ruth to go into Boaz's room after he's eaten and after he has something to drink. Mm-hmm. And she was like, bow down at his feet. In the original Hebrew, that term that we have translated as feet is actually a euphemism for penis. <sighs> Naomi told Ruth to go give Boaz head. <laughs> oh my God, when I found out, I was like, head is holy. <laughs> Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And they weren't married. They were not married. So my Bible says, go to the head of the class. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, but have be you, the head and not the tail. Be, oh, huh? come on, somebody. It's a promise. <laughs> it's a declaration. Now, have you ever heard that preach from the pulpit? Absolutely not. I was almost today years old. Not quite when I found that out. Yeah. And so I think that's another ball that's been dropped is being able to have holistic conversations about sex and sexuality, the role of sex in dating and courting, Mm -hmm. right? What is premarital sex? Child, Boaz opens up a whole lot that the church hasn't been quite honest about historically. And here's the thing. If you can go into something holistically, Mm -hmm. understanding everything about not only who you are, but what this sort of commitment is Mm -hmm. you can last longer i agree you can make the better choice Mm -hmm. but we're making choices based off of well you need to hurry up because you need to get married and you need to have some kids and you got so you got you got to hurry up and find that boss and we're not making a choice based on who we grow into right we're just well they said i gotta hurry up so let me just hurry because you know if i get too old i ain't gonna be able to the devil is a lot. Look, I had my first child at 38 years old mm. and there are some women having them even later. Mm-hmm. So you cannot tell me that I got to hurry up and have a kid by 25 or it's just going to be way too hard for me. No, our brains aren't even fully formed until 25. So Girl, you got so what 18, we talking about? What we doing? We got 18, 19 year old hypo Christians getting married just so that they can have sex in a bed undefiled. And it's like there's so much more to being a spouse than being able to have sex, particularly if you grow up in a tradition where they don't talk about sex and body and pleasure. So if the only reason why you're getting married at such a young age is to have sex and you're not that good at it. And you don't even know what you're doing. If that's the only reason why you're getting married, that's not a great way to start off a marriage. It's a terrible way. (laughs) And it's not going to last. That's the thing. And you don't even like this person because all you did was get married to figure out what sex was. Because we've been taught to believe that Being in a marriage with someone who doesn't believe in premarital sex, right? That if you save yourself for your spouse, that that makes you a better Christian or a better person of faith. Okay, that's someone who's equally yoked. I can't tell you how many times in my journey I have had sisters in Christ who would have a crush on a really great guy and they would be like, oh my gosh, this is demonic because I have a crush on him. I'm like, no, it's sweet, right? But the idea that, He brings you flowers and Mm -hmm. he's kind to you and you are rightfully so attracted and turned on that something your body is doing naturally and God givenly is evil or demonic. And so we were trained to want someone who could crucify their flesh. We weren't going to have sex together and therefore we are equally yoked, not realizing that to be equally yoked 
physically, spiritually, mentally, mm-hmm. right? It's not just, oh, our faith matches. When you look at what the term yoke comes from, it was two oxen mm-hmm. yoked together by this preach. wooden construct mm-hmm. so that they could plow the field and distribute the weights evenly. evenly. That's what it means to mm-hmm. be equally yoked. You with this person that you don't even know because y'all want to fuck and yeah. they don't know how to communicate. Their emotional intelligence is not mm-hmm. up to par. All that stuff that you need for a marriage mm-hmm. to work. And there's an imbalance. Unequally yoked. You are unequally yoked. And your faith, you can't just be like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, okay, I'm a Christian. Like I said about my husband earlier, I don't need you to say anything. I can tell if you are a man that I can grow with. Right. We can both be Christians, but you have a different idea of what that looks like in an everyday life. You may feel like you want the traditional woman that stays at home barefoot, getting pregnant and cooking. And that's not who I am. And that's not who God has called me to be. So we're going to be unequally yoked. We can say we serve the same God. Right. But you want me to be something else that I'm not. So we're not going to work together. Exactly. And I'm still I'm going to marry you. There's too much penis in the world for that. But here's the thing. (laughs) I actually believe that there are some men who identify as Christian who don't go to church Mm -hmm. and would make wonderful partners. I believe there are men who don't identify as Christian, don't go to church and would make wonderful partners. Mm -hmm. Some of the best dating courtship situations I found myself in have been with non-Christian men, Mm -hmm. have been with men who grew up in the church, but they got tired of the shenanigans. Mm -hmm. And so I have found in my dating experience that when I'm dating a churchy man, he expects that very patriarchal, conservative Mm. kind of marriage. Yeah. Y'all know me, or at least you're getting to know me, right? (laughs) (laughs) For some of you, that ain't me. Yeah. I need a man who can hold space for the bigness and the fabulousness Mm -hmm. of LaVon. Absolutely. And so I just don't date churchy men anymore. What I think we have to realize, back in the Bible days, women needed men to cover them. Right. Women need, like, there, it was it was a thing. We needed them to Provide survive, us. basically. Right. Yeah. But now, so now, what we're looking for is very different, vastly different from what Ruth needed back then. Right. So these things have to change. The way we go about entering a relationship, a courtship, a marriage. All of that has to change. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we're trying to date biblically in 2022 when in ancient Israel, <laughs> it was a completely different time. Women were considered property. That's where the tradition of who gives this bride away, right? right? And the the daddy, right. if y'all got a good relationship or if it's good enough for the wedding day, child, and he gives you away, right? And like, he's getting money. You're, it's a, it's there's a, a dowry. Yes. It's a transaction. Yes. It's a transaction. And so... Even in the Bible, when lots of women are referred to as the mother of so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, like women were always presented in relationship yeah, to the man. Not their own entity. Exactly. And I think that's why some of us struggle with finding Ruth, because how many Ruths are unnamed in the Bible? Mm. She's just given a role. Yeah, that's good. In relationship to another man, as opposed to what was her story? Even girl, Proverbs 31 woman, if I never see another conference... You mean to tell me that you're going to make a composite of thousands of women and just call her one? Y'all burning yourselves out trying to be rubies and, <laughs> and all kinds of stuff, child. And we're not all meant to be that. We are all Come meant on. to be so many different things. God did not create one woman. Right. He created all of us. And the way that people like to gloss over how Ruth actually 
stood up for herself and went into mm-hmm. the field. She didn't mm-hmm. ask for permission. She mm-hmm. was just like, I heard there was this nigga who got money over here and I'm trying to be in the midst. I know what me Let and my me, mama need. Oh, we need some barley. Let me get on my knees. <laughs> <laughs> get on my knees. That's what she did. And so she was a self-possessed woman who actually went against historical quote-unquote etiquette. But yeah. she was doing all of this to survive. And the beautiful yeah. thing about Black women today is that we are no longer interested in merely surviving. We want to thrive. thrive. And so we can take these lessons and apply them. And if we seek Ruth, who we are, mm-hmm. who God created mm-hmm. us to be in the fullness and of the highest expression of our most divine, shiny self, like, man, what a gift. Mm-hmm. You get to be you. You get to be you. And there is only one you. And there's only one you. I don't know what all that will look like, but I know I love the journey. Mm. I know I love finding me. That part. So with all that said, y'all, is testimony time. I'm so excited to introduce today's testifier because she is a really, really, really great friend of mine. Her name is Sarah Smith, and she is the host of the podcast, Stay at Home Mom. Yeah, right. When I tell you she does all the things, Sarah Smith is a mother of three. She's a wife, but most importantly, she has found herself. Let's hear from Sarah. My name is Sarah Smith, and this is my testimony. I always knew that I wanted to get married. And my parents, they met in college and were college sweethearts. They've been married for quite a long time. I happened to meet my husband, Michael, in a church parking lot. I wasn't out on the prowl looking for him, like saying, okay, this is the one. I definitely know he's the one. It was not like drop dead love at first sight for either one of us, but it was more as we got to know each other, we definitely knew that we could be together long-term. When I was young, I wasn't really taught about marriage. It was just, my parents were such a great influence on me because they had been together so long. It was a partnership and they're great friends. And I knew that that's what I wanted in a spouse. The way that I met my husband, Michael, me and a group of my friends, we used to go to church every week together and then we'd go to brunch. And after church, we came out one day and we saw a friend of ours who we knew. Our friend happened to be with my soon-to-be husband at that time. We met and then he gave me his email address because this was 2001. That's pretty much how we met. It was just through our mutual friend. When we were dating, I felt as if my biological clock was ticking because of the pressure I feel from the church. Not that I felt from myself or from my soon-to-be husband, but it was more the church that I felt the pressure. So once we did get engaged, about three years after we met, we went through premarital counseling with our pastors. And it was actually a great experience that I am happy that we went through just learning the communication that we needed to have before we got married, whether it was finances or little things like bathroom situations or like who's going to make the bed. It sounds silly, but it's like for some couples, it can turn serious. We've been married now 17 years. We have three children. And about nine years ago, our pastors got divorced. The whole church was rocked 
to its core. They had a meeting. The male pastor was not allowed there. And his soon-to-be ex-wife, she explained to the church what was happening. And everybody was crying, screaming, crying. It was so upsetting because they had just counseled so many people in their marriages. They promoted marriage. And from the outside, it looked like they had just this wonderful marriage, the two kids, the dog, the whole nine yards. And we've been to their house. It was just such an upsetting time. I feel like as humans, we just look at our pastors like, whoa, holier than a... No, they're just people and they put on their underwear the same way that everybody else does. After that, the church basically split up and everybody just went their own separate ways. Us included, we have yet to belong to a church since then. And I feel like we probably held them to a higher standard than we should have. There's always that relationship with God, but we realize like, why are we looking to man when we could just seek God for ourselves? I'm not saying I will never belong to a church again, but we have yet to belong to another church because I mean, there's so much hurt there. However, we do raise our kids to believe in God. And I think that's the most important thing than belonging to a specific church, finding a church that you believe in, that you trust, because I feel like so much of our trust was taken away. Being away from the church has totally given me perspective of what do I believe? What does my family believe? The advice that I would give my younger self, it's okay to leave the church. It's your life. You get one life to live. And if you're not in agreement with what they're doing at that church, it's okay to switch. Life is going to go on no matter what. My name is Sarah Smith, and that is my testimony. Ooh, child, what a testimony. <laughs> Don't go away. We're going to fellowship with Sarah right after this. Sarah Smith, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Look, we sitting here on the sanctified set getting sanctified up in here. So glad that you're with us, Sarah. I am so honored to be here today. Thank you so much for asking me, both of you. You're worthy, beloved. Welcome. Let's get into it. I've always known you're amazing, but to hear even more of your story, mm -hmm. Sarah is like, I have so many questions, but I just I just have so much respect and you're, it's so inspiring. And I really like I, I love everything about who you are. I really do. Well, you know, that means the world to me coming from you, especially. All right, Sarah. So I think this is really hysterical. Michael did not give you his digits. <laughs> he gave you. His email address. This like, so what? I, I think it's hilarious. Like, how did you react to him when he got your email? I think I secretly laughed, but I was like, this is so cute. Oh, you like that. <laughs> that did it for you. I mean, it wasn't love at first sight, but it was, I was totally interested in him, but I didn't anticipate him being my husband, you know? So it was cute. Like, he asked me for my email address. And we kept in touch, but we saw each other at different events that we used to go to. We had mutual friends who were both poets, and we would always 
go to their events and we would see each other there and we saw each other at church and that's where we met. And the whole time y'all were emailing each other. <laughs> oh, so you did. Okay, so wait, back up. Take us there. So, Because I'm like, how do you even kick game with an AOL email address? What was that first email exchange like? What was the subject of the first email? I'm not exactly sure. This was in 2001. My guess was just like, hi, how are you? It was nice meeting you at church. In the church parking lot. Oh, I love that. You was cute. In your black on black suit in July. (laughs) Not a black on black suit in July. In Boston, Massachusetts. That is funny to me. Y'all met in Boston? Girl. Yes, that's where I'm from. So I want to dig into, because you had so many nuggets in your testimony that just really stood out to me. I want to know where was this pressure coming from to get married? I don't know if it was pressure to get married that I was like, oh, I have to get married. Or it was just the church always saying like, okay, talking about relationships and, oh, if you're together, then you have to follow this track and of like, okay, you're, you date, you court, you can't have anyone else. Like you have to go everywhere with somebody else to make sure that you're not doing those certain things. And then you had to have a chaperone, (laughs) not group dates. Anybody trying to go on a group date. They were saying like at a certain time, you don't want to prolong the getting to know you because then you're supposed to get married. It was more of like you're dating to get married. Yeah. Which is so wild because you're so young. You change so much. I didn't get married until I was 34, but I just felt like I changed a lot in those two years. I can't imagine getting married at 18, 19, early 20s. So because we're so young and there's so much pressure to get married, what about the flip side, Sarah? Did anyone ever encourage you to get to know yourself first before you got married? My parents did, but not the church. It was the searching for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I got married, I was 30. I wasn't super young. And I think it was also the age factor. They're like, ooh, well, you're getting kind of old. In reality, I don't think that's old at all. No, (laughs) no, not at all. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Wait, so your parents encourage you to get your know yourself, but your dad, didn't your dad tell you to find a man at church? Yes. He was like, you should go to church because I was in my mid-20s at that time. I was working for our family business. And he's like, you know, you should try going to church because you might meet a man there. And the stereotype of you must find a man in church needs to go out the door. So did you feel like when you met Mike, he actually knew God? Oh, he definitely knew God. I mean, he was raised in the church. His grandfather was a pastor and had his own church in New Orleans. He knew God. So you obviously liked the God in him and like the packaging that he came in to the point where y'all dated, you got engaged. And then you talked about how important premarital counseling was for y'all, right? Yes, it was really important. We decided that we didn't want to get married until we had it just to make sure that we were on the same page. But now that I look back on it, I feel like premarital counseling is good up until a certain point. But and then like you grow and you grow together. I think it's important that people maintain that counseling as they go along with their relationship. So y'all are still in couples counseling? We should go back for it. Like it's 
because I think it's good up until a certain point and then you're growing and then it's like you need spiritual counseling to continue, I think. I mean, not that we're ending, but it's just like, I think it's important because so much has happened in our lives. I mean, by the grace of God that we are still married, we've had so many ups and downs. We've been married for 17 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And we've had so much go on, whether it's an ectopic pregnancy where I almost died his job situation completely changed. Just so many things. Hurricane Katrina happened two months after we got married and his whole family's from New Orleans. So his grandmother, his uncle, his stepdad, and his mama all had to come and live with us Ooh, in wow. Massachusetts for two months. Two months after we got married. Ooh, Jesus. Yes. That's intense. Ooh. Now, I live in New Orleans and I still witness the effects of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So I can only imagine what, that, what all that grief and uncertainty. Two months in, 60 days, not even 90 days. Yes. Actually, it was like six weeks. Wow. wow. That's intense. So, yes, I 100% agree. The counseling is beneficial in the beginning. It, it can also be beneficial during because I want to get into when you guys left the church. But do you feel like the counseling that you got before your, your premarital counseling, do you feel like that still stands today? Do you feel like what you got from that is something that still works for you all today? Or you just need some more stuff in the toolkit, keeping you sharp and allowing you to grow in, in a way that is fruitful for you guys? Well, There's one major thing that I always remember, and I believe he does too, is that we have never, ever, in every argument, everything that we've ever been through, we've never uttered, and we always call it the D word, we've never said divorce. We won't say that. Oh, actually, two things. So then the next thing was never say always when you're arguing. Mm. Like, you always do this, you always do that. No, they don't always do that. They it's don't, just, right. Right now, you're pissed off. So you're right. <laughs> I appreciate those gems because as a pastor, I co-facilitate premarital counseling with couples. And we talk about topics like money, sex, affection, like things that you think, oh, I just love this person so much. Okay, but until they leave the butter on the counter and you like it in the fridge and then that becomes a thing because you, it's very intricate. And so the fact that y'all had these tools to have these conversations, I bet you had to pull on those when y'all finally talked about leaving the church. Do you remember the conversation you had with your husband about leaving the church? It was more the church split up and we weren't gonna stay i was like i i couldn't be under that leadership anymore because i just wasn't fed and i didn't believe in the direction that she was going so before the church split up and before the divorce were you already feeling like you weren't being fed what you needed or did this actual divorce and sort of split of the church give you this feeling to step back and just figure out what life was with just you guys, you and your family? It was that divorce. How did that make you feel? Oh, we were devastated. We followed these people since before we were married. So it was years that we were with them. They married us. They dedicated our kids. 
we felt very close to them. So when the church broke up, we, as well as many other people, felt completely blindsided. Not that we needed to know anything about their relationship, but to come there one day and just find out, oh, yep, this is what's happening. We were like, oh. We went a few times after that, after they, the big announcement. But after that, I'm like, we had to really just evaluate what we were doing and why. Did we just go because that's what you're supposed to do on Sundays? Or was it, you know, we went to get a word and... And thinking about why am I going to church? What were we getting from it in more recent years or since you left that church? Have you felt pressure to join a church since you left after that divorce? We've wanted to, but then it's like, who do we trust? Who do we want to listen to again? I think we'd rather just like seek him for ourselves. And then, you know, I listen to some people on YouTube sometimes if I really feel like I need to. I loved that you said, why are we looking at man when we can seek God for ourselves? And I think a lot of times that's been sort of the issue in church that it's become so much about, let me get there and hear from this man. And we forget that the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Like we can communicate with him. There is no reason that we don't talk to him for us because we have to have that personal relationship. I love this. And I want to know specifically because you have three wonderful children. I love Sarah's children. They're amazing. In particular, you have two daughters, one son. Do you feel like the way you live for God now, having your own church at home, living a life that you believe is pleasing to God, do you feel like that is a better representation of God for them? Because they can actually see how God is sort of infiltrated in your life and they're not getting the pressures of what the church can sometimes put on, specifically young Black women. I have mixed emotions about this, which is kind of weird. Like sometimes I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, this is great. You know, we are actively living how Christ wants us to live. And then on the other side, I'm like, But when they were little, they loved going to church and fellowshipping with all the kids and going to Sunday school and just learning so much and so much that I don't know or can't teach them. I'm conflicted. I'm like, oh, man, I wish we did this in these last eight years. But then I'm like, I'm happy with what we've done. I understand that 100 percent. But I can tell you for sure that what you have done is phenomenal. Because your children are, they have a very strong awareness of who they are. They walk in confidence. They walk in love and grace. And I feel like they do that because they're able to see God in their parents in everyday life. And so that is no small feat. You found yourself. And in turn, you were able to find the right partner. And I think your daughters can see that and they can really find themselves so that when it is time for them to choose or do whatever they want to do, they're walking in the confidence of knowing exactly who they are and they won't settle for less. They won't settle for just some janky whoever because they was (laughs) at the church building. So you know what? Nah, nah. 
they know what they're looking for and they and they know it has to be worthy of them. Thank you. We just want them to be happy mm-hmm. and to not settle. Mm-hmm. That's my main thing. Don't settle. Be happy. That's a word for it. Especially for girls. Like, yeah. I don't ever want them to go chasing after some boy. Mm. No, let him come to you. Like, never chase after anybody. Yeah, that's what it's got to be. Because romantic love is great, but there's so much more to life than just romantic love. So much. And when I think about how some people stay in marriages way past their expiration dates, mm. just because they've taught that divorce is an affront to God and you're a bad Christian or a bad person, it's helpful to know that I did invest energy, time, love, mm-hmm. money into friendships mm-hmm. and connections and sorority sisters and acquaintances, right? Mm-hmm. So that, God forbid, if that kind of separation does happen, I haven't isolated all these other sources of yeah. God's love from me yeah. and that I can be held through that journey. So yeah. investing in your relationships will never be a bad investment. There's always a ROI <laughs> on investing love and authenticity. That's really good. Right. I want them to travel with their friends and hang out with their friends and never like just blow your girlfriends off to go out with some dude who might not be there. Ooh. Yeah. We all got that friend. She get in a relationship and it's crickets yeah. in the group chat from her. <laughs> Don't do that. You don't hear nothing. Thank you, Sarah, for changing the narrative. Okay, you are creating new generational <laughs> patterns through your mothering and through your wifing and through your womanhood and through your glow. Thank yeah. you for coming to share time and space with us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's quite an honor. Oh, no, the honor is here. You are worthy. We are so grateful, beloved. Yo, many thanks to Sarah for sharing her powerful story with us. Coming up next, we are bringing the offering to you. Saints and friends, friends and saints. We do offering time a little differently here at Sanctified. Yes, we do. And I love it, LaVon. Let me tell you why. Offering time at Sanctified is where we bring something affirming to offer to you. And so what's the first offering we have for the people of God? Number one, stop looking for Boaz. Come on. Stop looking for this man, this 80-something-year-old man, Pruny, if you want to get wrinkly. real. Just nasty, dry. I'm screaming. You know, stop looking for that and start looking for Ruth. Mm. Start looking Mm -hmm. for the beauty that God has put in you. Learn who she is. Because knowing who you are and loving on yourself is so very crucial before being partnered. And as you get to know yourself, don't be alarmed by your desires. Mm. desire is an inherently good thing. And even the Bible says that God will grant you the desires of your heart. And if you got some desires of your loins, that's God given too. your desire is not demonic, beloved. Your desire is a compass and paying attention to what you like, what you want, what turns you on is a good thing. And I think as you do all of these things to discover yourself, Finding 
Boaz in church or in the church parking lot, wherever you link up with the mate that God has for you, after you know who you are, the counseling is great, but seek the relationship for yourself. Because if you only communicate through the pastor to God, through a counselor to your spouse, Mm. through some other medium between you and that person, you and your God, your relationship will suffer. Pastors are wonderful. I acknowledge them. I love them. My sister here is a pastor and we are grateful and you are needed. But never forget, I don't have to go to you to talk to God. I don't have to go to you to hear from God. Correct. Continue to seek God for yourself. Continue to have communication. Continue to love on you. Because as you say all the time, LaVon, and I love it. You're worthy. You are worthy. And for those of you who are Ruth looking for a Ruth, praise the Lord, or Boaz looking for a Boaz, it don't matter whoever you're looking for, whoever it is that you love, redefine what it means to be equally yoked for this person. If you texting and they go ghost, if they're trying to make you feel like I am the prize as, as opposed to we complement and harmonize each other, that's giving ego boost. It's giving filler until the person they really want makes time for them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't. I love what Sarah said when she mm-hmm. said, don't chase after anybody. Trust me, what God has for you is for you for and you. it will not miss you. Right. Mm-mm. What's for you will not miss you. So no. whoever you looking for on this journey to love as a life partner honor that we were taught in church you know this is my take on modern contemporary christian music Mm -hmm. so i like the hymns because you know Mm -hmm. i'm chasing after you Uh, no matter what like it conditions us to think that we have to continually chase god when god is like i'm sitting right next to you boo i'm here i'm right here with you i'm I'm in it with you and that's what a good partner and spouse and friend and person does they're in it with you you don't gotta chase after them so I really want you to release the idea that you got to strive and contort yourself to get what your heart desires. Learn who you are, lean into the fullness of your divinity and trust that what's for you won't miss you. Look, I think we had a time. We had a time. We had a time last night. We had a time last night. Y'all, thank you for joining (laughs) us. For sanctified, this is our service. This, this is, is our church service. It's the this is where church service. It's the littest church Her. service. <laughs> where we really get to come as we are. There is no shame here. There's only love. And we find God in all the places. So thank you. Thank yeah. you for joining thank us. Thank you. Come back next week to get even more sanctified and bring a friend, child. Bring two or three. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Senior creative executive is Corinne Gilliard. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. 
Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.